This is Creek with At The Table Podcast. Here at At The Table Podcast, our goal is to break down biblical topics, make scripture easy to understand, and to glorify God and His Word. We pray this content edifies, challenges, and blesses you. So without further ado, sit back and join us at the table. Hey, 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 it's another great day at At The Table Podcast. Welcome to another episode. <laughs> it's a topical episode. It's hey, hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> <This> <laughs> He did give me the fat Albert, <laughs> bro. I was thinking he sounded more like Hulk Hogan. No, no, that was straight up fat Albert. <laughs> oh my god! Hey, hey, it's fat. <laughs> Welcome to another uh, episode. I hope host, you know Trey. Trey, our John host, is trying to talk over me. Yeah, I, I successfully actually. I'm what I'm going to do <laughs> is I'm going to crop your head onto Fat Albert's body and post it on Golly. the page. Man, a, bro- a brother puts on a couple extra pounds. No, this is payback for okay. that John and his ultimate form shot you put up there. Well, that was wrong. I probably have gained a little extra weight oh, since the coming have. of my son. A little, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Blowing up like a balloon. Did, bro. I, did I send you guys that? I've meme? got nothing but comments and crap. I'm like, dude, if the, like hit the gym, dog. This if this were just or like a lot of people would be you. hurt by these comments, dude. <laughs> dude. So I I, just, I found this meme right, and it um, the top part had one girl talking to another, and it said, uh, I've, "I OMG, I think I'm fat." And the other one's like, "Oh no, you're not. You're so beautiful." And the bottom one had one guy talking to another. He's like, bro, I think I'm getting fat. And the other guy was like, bro, I've only ever met five fat people in my life, and you're four of them. <laughs> That's hardcore. That reminds me of that other movie where it's like woman to woman, you're so beautiful. And this man to man, it's like you're a sinful wretch apart from the grace of God. And also, you're fat. Yeah, and that guy just hangs his head. He's like, hey, man. <laughs> I needed that. <laughs> right, yeah. I, ne- I needed a good disparaging. Do you that. think that, I mean, I'm not trying to get all serious. Do you think that there's, like, like some of it's funny and then a little bit of it's like, dang. Like, that really hurt that guy. You know what I'm saying? I feel like it hurts you. No, it really doesn't. I'll like, say, generally speaking, I, I take pretty much zero offense to when I'm called fat. Well, I look at it this way. I've been called far worse by far better people, you know. So. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> I'm going to say that to you now. Consider the source, you know. Hey, <laughs> if it's if it's a King James donkey talking to you, all right, maybe there's something in there. But if, if the they – Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just move on because I'm going to have to edit something out if we keep going on yeah. this route, dude. Yeah. We need, to, we need to get better since we're going to be doing a changeover in software about – as least editing as possible. So, yeah, I don't know why censorship doesn't bother me at all. The amount of editing, yeah. I, no, I'm not gonna go there. Okay, how <laughs> was your week? Well, I don't know if I should say this on the podcast. Podcast, dude. But, uh, it's been a rough night. I oh, got about okay. two hours of sleep. I had three separate dreams that my teeth were falling out. Mm. Hate those. I did a short <laughs> Google search. I feel like I might be under some sort of a spiritual attack. No, no. Like I mean, maybe. Right. But I did do a Google search, uh, and that means you have stress and anxiety. Anxiety. So do you have stress and anxiety? Stress. 
I feel like you're so war torn with the stress and anxiety that you war-torn. having it now, like you don't that. you don't register <laughs> that you have it. Like so, you have so much stress that you just kind of don't recognize it anymore. Recognize. So you don't know what it's like to not have any. You don't redneckize it anymore. Man. Well, yeah, I like the word war torn. I don't know. It kind of makes me sound cool, but <laughs> yeah, that's the sure. biggest takeaway from that. <laughs> For whole real, like, like, yeah, I like being called war torn. Yeah, that's I like pretty it. Cool. I dig it. I got the dirty shovel to prove it. Well, I tell you, I, I did. I mean, I just, I just will. Those dreams are not fun. No, they're not. It's unsettling, especially when you wake up and you start feeling in your mouth to make sure they didn't actually fall mm-hmm. out. You're yeah. like, I would say for anybody that's had significant trauma to their teeth, it's disturbing. Oh, it was. I remember when I was a it was the summer of my sophomore year in high school. I dove off the diving board. I was in the deep end, and I smashed off the bottom of the pool and broke my two front teeth off. Thunder. It was. I'm telling you, that old dang <laughs> that that was that right, Chanda. That <laughs> dude. I'm telling you that in this dream, like one of them is the only one I can remember. Even though I remember that there was three, I'm in grade school again, and my teeth are just falling out in pieces. And I'm trying to like put them back together <laughs> and stick them. In what? It was horrible. It's absolutely horrible. You good, bro? Creek's triggered, dude. Right he is triggered. We need to talk. <laughs> You need to talk, bro. You think that that's the answer to my anxiety is to talk? Maybe you now that you said now that, <laughs> now that you said that, it probably is. Maybe what you really need is a piece of pizza. Uh, you already ate it, fatty. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're gonna go ahead and uh, I think. Um, uh, I was really I I teed up Josh probably about three or four times on a good fat joke. He could have came in, but he didn't. So. While I he ad- probably wants to keep I, his dignity. I admire his integrity. I really do. I was hoping he would fall, but he, he but he Whoa. didn't. <laughs> <laughs> JK, JK. Dude, you're Massive restraint here. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> Exercise restraint. Well, you've just said Josh, so who is Josh? What are we talking about okay, here? Trey, why don't you go ahead and introduce him? Okay. Um, this is uh, going to be for our audience, one of our, our topical episodes. Um a little bit of a trigger warning. Uh, this, this is going to be a little heavier episode than, than often we do, um, but it's good and it's necessary. And the guest that we brought in to talk about this heavy episode is Pastor Josh Eaton. He is a pastor of a Reformed Baptist church um, in Caney, Kansas, and he is also allied with a movement called the Abolition Movement, where um, basically they are, they take a bold stance politically, socially, um, in, in every way that they can against this, um, this plague in our nation called abortion. And, uh, really, really enjoyed watching the work that I've seen come, come out of them. Um, it's, it's not just him. There's a lot of people, um, and the distance that they're willing to travel and the work they're willing to put in, the commitment that they have to it is, it's inspiring. It's amazing. So, um. Without further ado, Josh, why don't you just go ahead and just jump in and start telling us a little bit about yourself and uh, and what you do. Uh, oh, well, I've been pastoring here for almost 18 years and just enjoying enjoying the whole time. It's uh, There are great joys that come with pastoring a church for and staying in the same place for a long time. And uh, one of those is just stability and the ability to jump into difficult things uh, and have a understanding church 
And so it's been a few years since we started being involved in abolition. Uh, since I live right on the border of Oklahoma, started getting involved in Oklahoma first. Uh, would uh, take my kids to abolition rallies and and take my whole family and we would go to Tulsa, stand outside uh, one of the abortion clinics, the murder mill, and uh, plead with women to change their mind, offer them the gospel, first of all, and uh, and things like that. And there's no better way to jump into it and see all that's involved in the heaviness of it than to stand outside a place where you know that babies are intentionally being murdered. Uh, the, the way, like we can have this conversation and uh, the weight of abortion and because abortion is just a word that a lot of people use, the weight of it doesn't sink in until you're standing right in the place where it's happening and where you know that uh, women are just walking in and having their child put to death. Mm. It's uh, heavy stuff. Yeah, it is, man. I think that it's because that term has become so medical. You know, yeah. it, it's like, it's almost, it's it's basically considered a medical procedure. And it's, it really robs it of, of the, the meaning behind what's happening. Um, I know that, that for me, even just even just like hearing you talk about it already is kind of just a heaviness has settled into the room, you know. I, well, I think it's that's the technique, right? To like make it all like, oh, it's a, it's the woman's right to choose. Like it's it's changing up the words to make the take the uh, meaning out of them to take take the real procedure out of the out of the words, I suppose. Well. But, and let me ask you to do this too, Josh, if you don't mind, because whenever you talk about, you know, abortion and people on either side of the spectrum, it kind of becomes like, uh, God, I'm gonna, I mess this up every time. Is that every square is a rectangle, but not every rectangle is a square? Is it the other, the inverse? I don't know. Every but rectangle is a square. Every rectangle is a square. Okay. So you'll find people like on the, I don't know, let's just say right of center side of the spectrum on this issue. When you say, you know, that I stand outside of, you know, the the abortion clinic, describe to us, because it was kind of teased in the beginning, what is the difference between pro-life and abolitionist? Are they the same thing? Are they not the same thing? Because I, I, I feel like most people probably wouldn't process that. You know what I mean? So um, if you don't mind, just kind of articulate what the difference is. And, of course, your position would be abolitionist in this case, but... Sure. I would say that I am in no way uh, pro-life. Uh, while that terminology sounds like a, a good thing, and, and most people don't realize there's another option. We just think there's either pro-life or there's pro-choice. And so it, we know that pro-choice is, is evil and definitely unbiblical, so we're going to be pro-life. Um, but when, when I my hesitancy and my angst with uh, the pro pro life position is a is a top down problem. So I don't think 
but I'm going to preface what I'm going to say. I don't, I don't think every person who calls themselves pro-life is in the position that I'm describing. I think there are many sure. pro-life, um, honest, uh, well-meaning Christians involved in pro-life mm. organizations and pro-life uh, call themselves pro-life. Um, but I have come to see that the pro-life movement is more of a political regime that has compromised the biblical position and has actually gone so far as to fight against the biblical position. Um, and we, we see this in many states where the right to life groups of the state or the national right to life is actually the one fighting against abolishing abortion. Mm. We saw it in Louisiana. We see it in our state of Kansas. We see it in Oklahoma. Uh, everywhere that a complete bill to abolish abortion completely give the babies in the womb equal protection under the law it is the pro-life uh, Republicans that are the ones mostly standing in the way, especially in states like Oklahoma, where the legislator and the governor are all Republican. If, if they wanted to, it could be abolished. Like, yeah, yeah. But it's, it's Republicans that are standing in the way. The same thing's true in Kansas. We have a majority uh, Kansas legislator. We have a Democrat governor, but... Uh, but even our at our legislative level, the Republicans are the ones standing in the way and being a hindrance to uh, to even getting our bills out of committee. They won't even pass them out of committee and committees that are made up of mostly Republicans. So the difference there with the pro-life movement is that they've they they've actually are against uh, abolishing abortion completely. So in, in a, just a summation, the pro-life movement is too broad from its get go. It was too broad. It has become as inclusive as possible, trying to include atheist pro-life people and even, you know, slightly, they're just too inclusive and to the degree that they've excluded righteousness when you yeah. when you become inclusive on one level, you exclude righteousness, and that's what's happened. They care more about including people than they do about following what God has said. I was going to say, I'm sorry to jump in, but I I yeah. just moved to Kansas from Oklahoma, and um, I think it was last year that either the current governor or the guy that was running against him had mentioned that he was running on the on the ticket premise that he would sign every piece of pro-life literature that was put onto his bill. Right. So just to the point of what you're saying, you know, having lived in the state of Oklahoma, like it is a real thing. And I don't think the average, you know, Christian, because that's really who we're most concerned with in this case, we would that all people would be Christians, but you know, first and foremost, judgment begins in the house of God. So, just kind of getting on the same page with one another that I, I don't think the average person understands what you, what, what you just said, that the party that they're, they're going behind and putting themselves behind isn't actually standing for what they're portraying that they're standing for. And in fact, they're, 
in a lot of cases, they're standing in the way. Why? I was going to ask Josh why. You know, I think you're touching on on an issue that I uh, talk a lot of, talk a lot about. But why do you think that it seems? Why is it that the pro life, or I guess even Republican Party, whatever you want to call it, um, why do you think they don't want to abolish abortion? Um, well, I think that has a lot to do with our uh, cultural Christianity um, in that they've elevated being nice or sympathy above obedience to God's law. Um, and so most Republicans, uh, so in order to outlaw something, uh, you can't just outlaw it there has to be consequences right you, you can't just say oh we're going to make something illegal but then there are no consequences for it mm. so this is where the pro-life movement doesn't they so they don't want to cause any sort of uh equal justice for the mother who's committing the crime of willfully uh putting their child to death they're they're fine with um, uh, with punishing the abortionist, the doctor, um, but they're not fine with a mother who willingly takes her child to be murdered for any consequences for her. And so, equal justice. If the problem with the pro life movement is it's inconsistent, it's actually hypocritical to say that. I believe the baby in the womb is 100% a baby in the womb. It's created in the image of God, just like a baby outside the womb is created in the image of God. And I'm okay if a two-year-old that's murdered by their mother, if the mother faces the, the charge of murder, they're okay with that. But then when the mother is the one put, initiating the child being in her womb being put to death, they don't want any charges brought against the mother. That's inconsistent. It's unbiblical. It doesn't care. It's it you on one hand you're saying, yes, I agree, both the baby in the womb and out of the womb are a created in the image of God, but I'm I'm going to create a different system for the one in the womb than one out of the womb. Mm. That's that's inconsistent. So all uh, abolitionists are saying is that the same laws that protect a two-year-old ought to protect a baby in the womb. Yeah. Oh, and until, until those laws are in place, then it's not going to protect the baby in the womb. That's right. You know, Josh, something that you just, you just said um, in response to that, I, I have two things. The first thing that I want to say is like, that's, that's the problem with cultural Christianity is we, we've gotten away from the imago Deo, you know, the, the image of God. We don't believe even a lot of uh, of Christians, quote-unquote cultural Christians, have got away from God as the, the creator, and it's more of this evolutionist, you know, Darwinistic viewpoint where they, they believe that, well, by, by a lot of chance and this, that, and the other, instead of believing that every child that is, that is born is formed in the womb by God's hand. And he has stamped his image and authority in earth on that human being just by being a son or a daughter of Adam. And because of that, and it, this has all kinds of theological applications 
but because of that, that that has the inherent value that God has put onto that thing. So that human has the every every baby in the womb has the same inherent value that God placed on Adam when He said, "Let us make man in our image." And that goes a lot to do with like, you know, the commands against idolatry and stuff like that. The reason why they were told you don't carve an image is because God carved for Himself an image. God made his own image, and it has value in life, and only he has that say. Only he has the ability to to dictate where, where value begins and ends, and I think that it's pretty clear scripturally that, that his value that he's placed on that is that, that life is a precious thing, that is, it is to be protected, and, and you could find that through all of the Old Testament in, in the Deuteronomy and the um, Levitical laws. That being said, I also want to say that I believe, and maybe you would agree with me, I believe that a big part of, of the pro-life movement that keeps abolition from being a reality is politics. And the Democrats and Republicans have gotten really good, especially over the last 50 years, I would say, at holding voter bases hostage. They they, they love the power that that fear brings, and, and they, they weaponize that. For, for Democrats, you know, it may be different, but for the pro-life people inside of the Republican Party, they make all kinds of lofty promises, and they, and they, they love to use the images when it, when it garners fear and gives them power. But when it comes time to, to actually put rubber on the road, suddenly they start crawfishing. And it's because I think that if, if you do what you say you're going to do, then how do you, how do you mobilize voters in the next election? Right. If you don't have that weapon to hold over your voter base's head, and ultimately that's what caused me to leave the, the pro-life section, you know, is is because your mouth doesn't match what what you know, or your your body, what you do isn't matching what your mouth is. Your money isn't where your mouth is. You're saying all all these lofty things about protection for life and all of these things, but when it they never deliver, it never actually happens, and I think that that's my biggest. I guess motivation that I believe that there is for, and it, I guess it kind of links to the same thing that you were saying about like you know they don't want to to bring charges against a woman, and there there may be more to say about that, but I, I think that it's all about politics. It's about mobilizing a voter base, and and they they have found that this is a a very convenient tool to mobilize a, a voter base. Yeah, even, um, you know, when you go talk to your Republican senators and representatives, often you'll, and you bring this subject up, often you'll find that them saying things like, well, this isn't going to work, and so I'm not going to waste my time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or, and, 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 or they'll say things like, well, abortion will be abolished when Jesus comes back and not until then. So until then, it's a waste of time. <clears throat> that is so evil. That's so compromise bill <laughs> crap. <dude. laughs> That's like, so evil. Just evil. Yeah. I, I wonder if, if when William Wilberforce was fighting to abolish the slave trade, <laughs> he had to br- present the bill more than 10 times i believe something like 12 or 14 times uh so it took almost 20 years in order to get it to gain momentum 
but every time it was presented, it gained a little bit more momentum. Yeah. Right. And when you fight for something uh, and you, and it's the right thing, um, you, it, it causes lines to be drawn in the sand. And that's why um, people don't like it when abolition bills are presented because it is drawing a line in the sand between people who are really against abortion and people who are just uh, pro-life or just against some abortion. Yeah, I guess it's the same thing as slavery in a sense of a whole it's a human rights a, violation. A ton of people are dehumanized. <clears throat> wow. Could test fire. <laughs> yeah. I think that that's that's the truth. I think the yeah, thing, that, Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say that's why we call ourselves abolitionists because it was abolitionists of slavery uh, first. You know, I <clears throat> I think, you know, I'm not trying to, to segue away because this conversation, I think, has been super fruitful. But the thing really that I love is, so we, we all know as participants in this political system that not, well, one, not all people are going to get equal representation. That's for sure. And the, the second is, is often the people responsible for representing don't actually represent the voter base as much as they do the lobbying base and the people that fund their campaigns as well. And so that, that kind of exposes a certain problem. And that's that if, and you know, not, and I'm not saying don't, you know, that we don't get involved, but uh, long story short, that we don't count on the politician to do the work of making it stop and only put our egg in that basket. And that's what I love about what you do is that, you're not just going to write your senator or phone call your, you know, your representatives. You're not just going to showcase yourself in the voter booth, but you'll be boots on the ground at the place where this is happening and not only be there to save the child, but to save a woman from a lifelong trauma that, that will take nothing short of the Holy Spirit of God to to help her get past guilt and condemnation <clears throat> should she ever come to Christ, you know, because that, that is a, a serious, heavy thing. I think for any person, when they be become a believer, you look back over the course of what you did in your life, right? And you have this sobering moment where you realize, like what Paul said was true, I was an opponent of God. Mm. I I was an enemy, you know, and everything that I did was as an enemy and a rival and it was death bringing and chaotic. I was used, you know, like Satan by Satan as a weapon against everything that God loved. And when, when that, when that sobriety kind of comes to you, especially if you've done certain things and Lord, it's pretty tough. <laughs> it's one thing yeah. to accept God's forgiveness. It's really hard to forgive yourself too. And, I just love that uh, because the majority of people will say this. Um, they'll they'll be represented on Facebook, and that's where the beginning and ending of their ideals are. Yeah, they it, when rubber meets the road, there there's not as much care for either the child or the woman. But you guys are physically there, so if you don't mind, you know, just kind of, and maybe it's as simple as I believed and so I did, and if so, praise God, but. Just kind of go into like what led you to to start showing up and saying, "Hey, I want to be, I want to be a part of the solution in every way that I can be." 
Yeah, sure. I mean, it's it is uh, just part of the consistent Christian worldview to right. to to fill all of those slots. Uh, you know, you're not just gonna decry that there's a problem without also being part of the solution. Right. And um, there are plenty of people offering, telling us what the problem is in the world and not giving us the solution. And really the gospel is the solution. Come on. (laughs) And so, but we have uh, like, we have so many Christians that are so sympathetic toward the woman that they're actually hindering the gospel like just imagine you brought up the situation with Paul and and Paul uh persecuting the church you know and it and it came to him that he persecuted like the realization sank in and when that realization sank in what if other christians were there saying you know Paul you you were raised in, as a pharisee and it's okay we can understand your position and anyone in your position would have done the same thing <laughs> and <laughs> You kind of just just would have pushed back on his his feeling of conviction, almost softening his conviction, which mm-hmm. led him to repent. Like, and that seems like a lot of what a lot of Christians do. Like, we when a woman does get convicted of of their abortion, and we all like, oh well, you know, in the situation you were in, and we understand. And no, it was it was murder. Like we we're. We don't need to take away the the guilt in that way. There's two two ways to try to take away guilt, and one is to lie to them and tell them it wasn't that bad, and, but their conscience is going to testify against them, Ooh. and the Holy Spirit is going to testify against them. But the so the and that's just going to leave confusion and more heartache. So the gospel is the only real answer left that says yes, you did wrong. But Jesus came and died and paid for your mm. sins. Repent and believe in Christ. Man. And you can free from your guilt, not just the, the, the judgment of your sin, but the guilt and shame that goes with that. Man. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the beauty of what you, what you guys have done. And um, I'm glad that we kind of switched up from like the political side of things and kind of getting more to the, to the um, you know, actual um, Christian living and Christian perspective, and um, after I want to leave room for the other guys to say a couple things, and then I, I want to switch up and kind of maybe even throw some like if <clears throat> if you would be okay with that, some like devil's advocate questions. Even though I hate the sure. term, I hate that. Term. Yeah, it's uh... but I, I want that. Uh, I want like our audience that would listen to this to to hear some responses to like what would be common, you know, apologetics for for murder, and like it, it's pretty wild, but that that's exactly what it is. Um, I, I think that before we go there though, I do want to, I do want to talk about like some things that I've seen and testify to some things that I've seen. Uh, first of all, I've seen, I've seen persecution from the world. I mean, I've watched videos where people have had paint cans thrown on them. I've (laughs) spit on food thrown at them, um, all because they're out here, um, proclaiming the gospel to, to people that need it and, and truth. Um, and so I, for all of the brothers and sisters in Christ that have participated um, in, in these rallies and participated in, in this preaching of the gospel and the bringing of good news, I, I just want to commend commend them for that because most of the time I think that the reason we don't 
experience persecution is we is because we don't take a hard enough line on anything. Yeah, we yeah. take this kind of soft gelatin line where yeah, you don't experience persecution because you you don't have any skin in the game. You've not risked anything. So first, I want to commend that, but also some of the stuff that I've seen. I've seen family members, people take their whole family to these, and and man, that that is a that is a tough thing. But I think that it's also good. But mm-hmm. I've seen I've seen families that have that have adopted women and children, that have that have like had people that have changed their mind and been sponsored yeah. by families where they've taken care of them and they're saying, hey, whatever you need for this pregnancy, whatever you need for this baby, if we need to help find someone to adopt this child, if it's something that like, hey, I just can't afford this or I don't think that I, I want to be a parent yet, um, I've seen I've seen testimonies of, of families who have adopted children and also testimonies of families who have adopted mothers and have said like, we're going to help, we're not just going to, to uh, make you have a baby and then drop you. And and just forget about you, but we'll provide a community Man. that you can be a part of with with grace and love and forgiveness, and we'll take we'll we'll help take care of you. We'll help make sure that you stay on your feet. And I think that that knocks out ninety percent right there of the apologetics against that that the world mm-hmm. has because the first thing that they always want to say is, well, pro lifers all they care about is is the baby in the womb. They don't and maybe Some that's bit. maybe that's fair, yeah. but uh, but that's. That's one thing that I've seen in this abolition movement where I'm like, yeah, you can't bring that charge here right. because that's not that's not what's happening. We hope you're enjoying the show. If you are, give us a rating, review, and send this podcast over to a friend. If you want to contact us, email us at atthetablepodcastmail at gmail.com. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, and any other podcasting platform. Ask us about merch, recommend topics or interviews, or just tell us what you think of the episode. Thank you for listening. Now... Let's get back into the show. I love it when they tell me, like, you don't even care because if you cared, you'd adopt kids. <laughs> how right. many do you how many have you adopted now? I have three adopted children. <laughs> Here you go. Well, I think you you spoke on a problem there. It's like probably part of Josh's problem with the pro life is like well, a lot, <clears throat> you know, you do have people outside of clinics yelling, screaming obscenities, Westboro stuff like that, and and you actually are making it worse. You've actually become a tool of the devil by actually probably encouraging people to get the abortion because they look at the pro life quote unquote and say, "Well, you know, uh, I'm not interested. Those people, they suck. They're not going to help me." Yeah. And I I did want to say. Um, <clears throat> my son Josh is about two months old now. Judah, Judah. But <laughs> I, uh, I think that having him change—I I mean, because I've you know I'm, I've been a believer for a while, I guess. So I've always—I mean, ever since then, I should say I've been very anti-abortion per se, um, trying to avoid that pro-life 
yeah. term. That's so right. But right. Um, it it definitely puts some new skin in the game. Like I look at him when he was first born, smacking his lips because he's hungry, and you know he's the little dude who's been kicking the inside of my wife's womb for probably six months, and I know that his heartbeat started, and it it's stuff like that, and it, it just creates this new, I guess I should say that, say it like this, and this, this isn't to justify what the, what the bad pro-lifers, quote-unquote, are doing, but I can say that I have felt the temptation to be very angry at people who get, who get abortions and who perform them. Yeah. And I and I again would not go out there and yell and scream and cuss it. That's that's evil. However, I feel the temptation to get very angry because <clears throat> I look at my beautiful little boy who he's starting to laugh now. I can make him laugh. It's crazy. Like he's starting to develop and I know that that development didn't just start when he came out. It's been like that. It's been like that for a long time. Life didn't start when he was born. And it makes me just, <clears throat> part of me gets very angry. But I also know that, you know, people don't realize what they're missing. People, people, I think, I guess the dehumanization of, of the unborn, but also the changing of terms, like to say, you know, well, it's it's the woman's choice. We want to prioritize the choice. You know, this is... We're gonna we're gonna call it a fetus, yeah. even though that literally means little one, a person. Yeah. We're gonna change all the terms. We're gonna make it make it safe and free, abortion, whatever. It's all. Mm. It's almost as if the. Not only, on the if you look from the outside in, it can look like the pro-lifers are evil, but it can look like the ones performing the abortions are walking in some sort of love where they act like they care and they're trying to get free abortions because they care about the rights of women. So I guess that makes me appreciate um, what you do and what others like you do because, and and prayerfully, it will stir us to do that as well. But I will say that um, I'm very appreciative because, again, you put your boots on the ground and care and ad- adopting three children, I know that isn't cheap. I know that isn't easy. Um, so it, I have a very, I'm very fond of what, what's going on because it shows that not everyone is just a political, uh, yeah, pundit, whatever you call whatever. it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I'm connected pretty well through social media with lots of abolitionists across the country. And there is not one baby that's been saved the mother that's changed their mind that i know of that hasn't been helped in whatever way they wanted in many cases people help them make a baby register register on amazon and abolitionists across the country buy that up anything they want hundreds and hundreds thousands of dollars and 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 sometimes even helping the woman who's been with the guy she doesn't want to be with anymore and to leave, to find a, a place that's safe because the man was trying to pressure her to have the abortion, to murder the child and often helping her find a place to live, paying her rent. Man. Um, uh, 
happened numerous times. So praise God. You know, I I just wanted to jump in on that note, Josh, because you know, really, what kind of comes to my mind is the <laughs> Jesus starts out with the uh, in this parable or this story with an oxymoron, a good Samaritan, um, and in the mind of of the Jewish Pharisee, there's no such thing, right, as a good Samaritan. Um, but clearly, the character um, that this good Samaritan displays is is that of Christ, right? And he finds this person that all of the other people have, you know, refused to help because it would make them unclean or, you know, for this reason or for that, they, they pass him by. But when he sees him, he by and, and he doesn't know him from Adam, you know, but he, he he picks him up and puts him on his own donkey and carries him away and finds him a physician and says, bind up his wounds and keep him here and feed him here. I'm giving you this money. And then for whatever else kind of care he needs, just put it on my tab and and I'll I'll make it good. I'll take care mm-hmm. of it. And and what it really displays is the heart of the church. You know, I was doing some I'm a I'm a nerd about early church history. I love that stuff. And um, there was a period in early church history where the Romans were accusing Christians of child sacrifice because they were um, so prolifically taking in orphans off the street that they thought, man, they're gathering up a bunch of kids for something. This is weird. But they were they were orphans. They had no place to go, and especially in Jerusalem, even though they didn't have much but a loaf of bread for a whole family, they'd still pick these kids up off the street and, and tear one more piece off of it for the kid. And I think it's just a testament that the heart of every person, whether you're a widow with two mites or whether you're a person that has space in your home, no matter what it is, that the same heart is it's ubiquitous, right? It's I want to do whatever I can. I want to help however I can. Whether it's two pennies, a piece of bread, paying your rent, making a baby registry, not everybody will be able to give and do the same thing, but everybody can do and give something they can start somewhere and it's that unified picture of i don't know if to me i just see the body right like all of this that we're talking about that if the knee is wounded you'll often find your hands massaging it right the whole body reflexes in response to a wound to care for it and it's just so beautiful to hear stories like that because like you said on social media you know people say all kinds of junk (laughs) And the, the how would I say, the powers that be that are the arbiters of social media would really rather you not see the side of the story that we're talking about today. It doesn't fuel the agenda. It doesn't bring more views. You know, for the same reason that they probably wouldn't want to cover somebody preaching the gospel and taking a care package to an immigrant at the border. You know, um, love isn't, isn't selling stories, right? <laughs> at least right. not out side of christianity but god i just love that um sorry to ramble i just that story just came to mind and yeah the claim that the claim that the liberals or anti-christians have against christians that says we only care about one type of people is such a far-fetched lie and only just try and attempt to distort the thing you know, we don't need to even spend a lot of time trying to fix that lie. If you just remove all the Christians out of the foster care system that are taking care of foster kids, Man. the foster care system would collapse tomorrow. Wow! It, 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 without Christians, 
doing what Christians do. Uh, the the parts of society where the weak and vulnerable are would there wouldn't be any help for them. Very little. Mm. Yeah, pure and undefiled religion, right? That's 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 mm. what's on display, and that's what you're talking about. Is you know the, these Christians a lot of the time, and <laughs> I, I love it too. Like sometimes you'll, I don't know how to say this, but you know, like you said, they'll, they'll just they'll see. Um, I I was thinking about this the other day at the restaurant. I had a a circumstance come about. I I, I won't go into all the details, but my heart broke for with compassion for this person. And I'm like, would to God that I had the whole world to give to you because I would right now, you know, I don't have that. But what I do have that that much I'll do. And it, and it just brought to mind that, like, isn't that the, the motivation behind like a lot of Christ's miracles? And I'm not trying to to over distill things, but there's many of his miracles where you'll read that he'll look at a group of people and he'll have compassion on them or he'll, you know, he'll look at. You know, someone like, honestly, like a blind person that's crying out, you know, son of David, have mercy on me. And everybody else around him is like, shut up. He doesn't have time for you. He's a busy guy. And he cries out all the louder. Now, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus responds and said, hey, what do you want me to do for you? You know, and there's just this idea that I, I don't know that Christians understand the depth of that metaphor of being the body of Christ. That while Christ is in is absent in body from the world, he's not in the way that we're still here. He cared for the children, and we care for the children. He loved the widows and the orphans, so we do. You know, I, sorry, Trey, I, I know you have something you wanted to say. Just go ahead and do. Yeah, that dude, fire, and it and it takes it to where I, I want it to go now. I think that a, a big part of like this issue is that we are blinded by by noise. There's so much noise going all the time. But I, I'm brought back to Genesis and the first the first story of murder in the in the Bible is, is Cain and Abel. And what what was God's response to that? I think that that's the craziest thing. It says that the the blood of, of of Abel that it cries out to me from the ground. Man. Golly. <laughs> it's so heavy and it makes me honestly super emotional. Um but our audience is pretty used to me being the emotional one. But what it does is, is it if 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 Abel's blood cried out to God, how much more so in the society that we live in is innocent blood crying out to God for retribution mm-hmm. or Man. for justice? Yeah, I I'm sorry to jump in, but that just it it just brought this thought to mind, like. You know, you um, Sodom, or sorry, Genesis six and the flood, right? Like the the blood is filled, or the earth is filled with the blood of the innocent, and it, the outcry of sin goes up to heaven. So God responds with catastrophe and cleanses the world. He literally, Peter says, baptizes the world, right? Um, and and only one family is saved, and that same family is portrayed in Hebrews as being the only preachers of righteousness that were there, telling them not to do these things. Right, and then you've got Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And they want to brutalize the one person that's standing in between them and destruction. Yeah. And all of this sin is is going up to to heaven. They don't even realize the things that they want to brutalize are sent here to execute every one of them. 
right? And Lot's trying to stand in the way, and he's proclaiming righteousness. Don't do this evil. Don't do this evil. But God judges with catastrophe, and the response is the same throughout the Old Testament. The sin comes up to heaven, right? The outcry of sin goes up to heaven. And the very people that are trying to save the world from <laughs> from that judgment, that wrath, because we know the only shoulders that are strong enough to carry it are that of Christ. The, the very same people that are trying to stand in between them and destruction are the same people that they persecute. Yeah. And it and it's yeah. it's crazy to think about that. Yeah, and and just to tie some of the things we've said together here, God responded in in anger, in wrath to to those situations and probably if you would have taken a poll in noah's day not probably absolutely if you would have taken a poll in noah's day and asked everyone is noah a nice guy is he compassionate he would have got no good marks like he, they said no he doesn't care he's not compassionate so on the one hand it's it's um it, it's right that we have compassion but it uh, the test of our compassion is not if the other side thinks we're compassionate. Right. It's God think we're compassionate. Right. Right. The standard is God's, not not the person who who yelling back at us. I would rather put my child to death than let you adopt my kid. Right. It, if they think I'm not compassionate, really, uh, it. That should not phase us. Mm. It, in order for men to be, in order for anyone to be an abolitionist and to do this, you need the kind of courage that doesn't care what other people think of you. Like a, mi- mm. a moment ago, so God responds in anger, and you have to kind of not care what other people think of you because what what they think of you is a lie. Well, you're just wicked. You're just evil. You only care about the baby in the womb or womb and not outside the womb. What about all these uh, these kids that are going to be born if we do away with uh, abortion? And what's going to happen to them? They're going to be raised in poverty and you don't even care about that, right? If you let that affect you, then you're just you're going to tone down and compromise the tr- truth because of the lies that are being said. That is part of the devil's trick. And you uh, it was said a minute ago, a temptation to get angry. Well, I, I don't don't say it that way. Like because sure. like it's murder. Yeah. <laughs> you should be angry. There is a lack of anger that's part of the problem. Like that doesn't stir our hearts to action. Like uh an unwillingness to be angry in the face of wickedness is itself a sin. Uh, like yeah. there should be some anger. <clears throat> yes, there should be some. There should be a, a ramification of a lot of different emotions, but anger is one of them. Well, and and when you're standing outside an abortion clinic, and literally more than one woman has, you know, when we say things like, "Well, you don't, you don't have to do this. We'll adopt your baby if you can't take it." More than one woman has said to me, "I would rather kill my child than let you raise it." Yeah, that's hardcore. Gosh, so sad. It's, it, it, what it does is it speaks to, you know, the the fallen state of this world and the people that are in it. Um, mm. That the hearts of many have, have waxed cold. That. That's that's the state of the the quote unquote Christian nation that we live in. Um, I don't think that there's anything more fundamental 
than than the right to life for an, an innocent. The only people that can be morally innocent are those who are not born yet <laughs> because they 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 have I think that that kind of, you know, we talk about sin nature, but that, that's that's a part of being alive, you know, and coming and coming into life and when you're talking about even I've heard a lot of um leftists talk about, well that's not life, that's potential to life. Listen, science is not this is just to the listener. Science is not the benchmark by which we measure these things. We measure these things by the word of God. And if the, if the word of God says no, that being human, not any stage, you don't age out, you, you know, for, for people that are mentally handicapped, that doesn't stop you from being valuable, but God has placed an inherent value on what is human. Yeah. yeah. And so that, that embryo, that growing baby in the womb Unique is DNA. human. <laughs> it, it is human, and therefore it is just as valuable. I want to say it was Kent Hovind that was talking with somebody, and they said, well, the the baby, you know, isn't, isn't uh, what is, what's the term, viable outside yeah. of the womb. And he's like, well, let's strip you butt naked and throw you out in the cold and see if you're viable. You <laughs> For know? real. It's like, this idea, like, yeah, you wouldn't fare so well either, you know. That's not, uh, there's a there's a society that's pretty carefully structured around you know, having having life, and uh, if that were to not be the case, yeah. this is a brutal world to tame. Yeah. You know, it really is. Well, Josh, I um, I, I do. I, I guess that we can kind of switch things up now, and I just want to run some some just like apologetics like against you, and just um, just say some things. And we kind of covered a lot of it already. Yeah, <laughs> honestly, by by accident, right? You know, just by providence or, so or, or whatever. Good. But um. What what do you say to that person that says, "Well, um, that that baby isn't alive because it it hasn't been born, or it's there isn't a heartbeat, or or you know, um, wh- whatever they want to try to." Um, it's a clump of cells. Yeah. yeah. What 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 would you say to the person that that would say that to you? Well, the person who says it's a clump of cells—that's true of you and me. We're both clumps yeah. of cells, but that doesn't uh, take away our our dignity. Um, it's just we have a, a bigger clump uh, of cells. And so got, uh, science, again, like you said, science doesn't define how many clumps to make make something valuable, make a human valuable or not. God does. And so from fertilization, that uh, baby is uh, the work of God, uh, that God is producing inside the mother and should be protected as an image is created in the image of God. So what if I were to say, <clears throat> and I've heard this, okay, but that's your religion. You believe that. I believe um, in evolution. I believe, you know, wow, you get what I'm saying. That's a religious argument. You can't use religion. You have to use facts. <laughs> uh, and so the, that person is missing. <laughs> Meaning whose whose world this is, and I would just mm. dismiss them. <laughs> that uh, Christ is King, and it's His world, and we are to do what is right in His eyes. And you're not the standard. And by you telling me I can't, uh, I can't use that. You've made yourself the standard, and I reject you. So. There you go. <laughs> he said, "It's God's world, baby." <laughs> what about <laughs> he runs the joint? I'm going to use the heavy one, Josh. So I, I'm sorry for this, and I, <laughs> just in advance. But but what about in the cape? In the cape? 
What about in the case of um, of rape or incest, or what, what about that twelve year old girl that that has become pregnant against against her own will, or even uh, you mm. know w- without knowledge? Like, wh- what about what about that? You know, shouldn't abortion be a, be legal for the for the case of, that for those who are who are either unwilling or too young to make that decision themselves? Well, no, life and death are uh, in the hands of God. And even when bad things happen, uh, God can use them for good and life is good. And so if a woman was raped and life comes from it, praise God. Just to take your argument a step further and what people will say is that, yeah, but you're going to make that woman have to look at that child of the, uh, the face of the that looks like the man who raped her for the rest of her life and make her live in agony by having to look at that child and remember that a guy raped her. Well, that's a twisted way of looking at things. Maybe she can look at that child and think, wow, the grace of God to bring this child to life and look at the beauty and outcome that God brings beauty out of tragedy instead of, uh, instead of the other way around. And and so if a woman gets raped, she is a victim and, and the man should face charges. Uh, I, I think he should get the death penalty. Be fine with me. Um, she's a victim. But then if she willingly goes and kills the child, that makes her a murderer. She's no longer, she was a victim and her victim status doesn't give her the right to commit another crime. That's, you know, like if somebody robs you and steals something from you, and then you go to somebody else and steal something from them. Well, that doesn't make it, the fact that you got robbed doesn't justify the fact that you robbed somebody else. And so all of us have things that have happened to us that are wrong, and we could use whatever wrong has happened to us to justify our actions, but it doesn't in God's sight. And so... Committing a murder isn't justified because we've been victimized in another way. And while I would be sympathetic and a, a, a young girl or someone like that, if if my one of my daughters got raped, none of it wouldn't even cross our minds to put the child to death. We would take receive that child as a blessing. God uses sin of other people against us for good. We don't have to fall prey to to being victims. This is the gospel. Yeah. Jesus was sinned against. The Roman soldiers unjustly beat him. The Jews unjustly chanted and said, crucify him. The crowd of people thronged the place and said, crucify him, crucify him. It was all wickedness. Yeah. But yet Jesus went to the cross and God used that massive sinful situation to bring about the salvation and the payment of sin for his people. If God can bring out the the greatest good in Christ in all that sinful situation, then most certainly he can bring about good and part of that being the baby itself in a rape or incest kind of situation. And I know we already covered a lot of this in terms at least of like stories, but you know, 
for I'm, I'm piggybacking on Trey and Creek here, playing the devil's advocate. So, you know, say that 12-year-old does decide to keep the baby or use whatever marginalized case we'd like. <laughs> you know, whatever whatever case of rape or, or, or incest decides to keep that baby, then the then what? Like, what's what's the, the first response from, at least from your the group that, that you do work with local to your area, what resources are available? Well, in most cases like that, uh, I mean, the same resources that, that would be available to, to anyone, like there would be people to provide whatever she needs, diapers, uh, to play equipment, to cribs, to whatever on that side. And, um, but in a situation like that, of course, if the, if it's extreme 12-year-old girl, 13-year-old girl, you know, her parents are going to have to be on board with that as well. And sure. pres- presumably, you know, if that if that were, uh, you know, I have a 13-year-old daughter right now. If that were to happen, I would just, you know, my wife and I would just take the kid and raise it as our own. Mm. I mean. And she would just be number eight in the slot. <laughs> Father of seven. Man, Man. My brother's prolific. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I just want to like, as we kind of start to wind down, I just want to kind of reemphasize things that we've already, that we've already covered. And, and it, what it does is it, it kind of acts us through a lot of the, the initial pushback of people. This is not, this is not a group of people who are like the political, you know, representation that you have where they would they would say something with their mouth and then do something different with their hands. Um, they're taking a very hard stand. It's not an easy stand to take, even though it's an easy question to answer when we say, like, is, is life valuable? Yeah, it is. Is it right to go and preach against murder? Yeah, it is. If you think that it's easy to go stand in front of all those people and, and to and to and to look at people both in pain but also inflicting pain on other people and and to pre- it's not an easy thing um but these people are also they're they're backing they're backing that stance up with like we've talked about financial aid and even you know um I, i've through josh have become kind of connected with a lot of on facebook you know about abolitionists around um the nation and i and i and i've seen these testimonies of people who will who will adopt these women or adopt these children and take them into their home and care for them and love them and give them the hands and feet of Christ and serve them. That is not an easy thing to do, but it's necessary. I was going to ask, um, you know, I, I know Trey said we're winding this plane down and just in concert with that, Josh, if you wouldn't mind, um, cause I, I think that some of the expectation is too, that the, because the majority of what people will experience in doing this is resistance, that that's the only thing that comes about. Could you share with us, you know, a story? Uh, man, have you had anybody during this process receive the gospel and and experience change in their life? Um, so when we were going to the murder mills we were going in tulsa because i'm only an hour from tulsa we would go every monday and so there there are some kinds of uh 
you know, as Jesus used the, uh, the in this parable, used soil as a, a demonstration of some grounds are ready are more fertile than others. And when you're uh, going to an abortion mill and pleading with women, you are going to the most unfertile soil. And, and so, um, yes, we were able to have good conversations and yes, we were able to have women turn away and decide to keep their child. Praise God. Um, but as far as I know, in in the times when I were was at the clinic, um, no one received uh, Christ. Um, but that's not to say that, that it haven't. didn't happen later. Yeah, right. Uh, the seed was and, planted. Yeah. So it, it is difficult work, and the you know, um, it, like I said, it's, it's running a rescue mission at the gates of hell, uh, rather than in more fertile soil somewhere else. Sure. Man, that's fire, Josh. I I do think that like, it's kind of wild. I don't know if you've experienced this as well in your time in ministry, but, but I certainly have. It seems like most of the time, the most resistance that I get are from people that are also supposed to be on my same team. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. And it's like, do you understand the stance that you're taking against me? I mean, <laughs> who are you fighting for? You know, and, and what are you fighting against? And I know that the first thing that happens when, when a conversation like this is had, and, and we'll experience it, I'm sure, after releasing this episode, oh, yeah. I'm sure that we're going to get the, the clap back. But bring it on, dude. I, yeah. You know, this is this is the most important issue of today. If you're 100%. that upset with us um, being against abortion, you probably should, you know, make sure, make sure you're against abortion. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I just want to say, you say um, rescuing, uh, a rescue mission at the gates of hell. I love, love the way you put that. But also something that gives me comfort, and I know, like, it's heavy, but, you know, I know with these children that God has taken care of them and they've been given names directly from him. And it, and obviously, I mean, it doesn't make it any less sad, but it is comforting to know that we have a good God who's making sure those babies are good. And that he sent people to be the guardrails. Like, even if you never, those people never received the gospel that you preached to. You never yeah. know what safety rail that you are that you keep them from plunging off a cliff. I heard a statistic that said if there is somebody praying outside of an abortion clinic, I think it's like 70% change their mind or something like that. That could be wrong, but no doubt it has it's a big, wrong. a lot of effect. Yeah, he said it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I do, though. I, like sure. Even, even the, the confrontations, like that's what a guardrail does, right? You know it may have to receive impact. Right. But it's there to protect somebody from plunging off of a cliff into yeah. death. And so you might get a little beat up on the way, but but knowing that, like, no, I'm serving the purpose of God because I am I am a, a bastion, a wall in between this and that. And there's always mm-hmm. a way around or over, but you're going to have to work. If you're not, yeah. 
Uh, Josh will know this quote better than me. I think it's a Spurgeon quote, but it's something about the um, if if men must go to hell, let them jump over. Jump. Yeah, I've heard that. Josh, yeah, I know you, I know you know what I'm talking about. I've seen you post it on Facebook. My body or something like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they basically let them let them rip themselves out of our yeah. clasped hands and over leaping over us. Yeah, amen. Yeah, uh, another point, you know, talking about uh, the the church uh, uh, standing outside an abortion clinic, watching the people go in, and cars pull in the parking lot, and and just to show you, like, <laughs> uh, the uh, the sides aren't clear, so cars driving in with church bumper stickers mm. and crosses mm. hanging from the mirror to come and put their baby to death. Uh, you think, well, this is just worldly people. These people aren't, they aren't church people. They're already, they're already wicked. No. Um, a lot of, there are, there are a lot of women going to get abortions that are in your church. If you're a pastor and you're watching this, don't assume that, no one in your church has had an abortion or is going to have an abortion. Mm. Assume that they are and assume that they have and preach to them with that in mind. Yeah. Um, and when I started doing this, I found out, you know, one of the ladies at our church had had an abortion, uh, you know, like 25 years ago. And she didn't share that until we started doing all but wow yeah um i being in a position of, of ministry I, I can attest that that's true i mean um multiple multiple people and you know obviously we don't we don't name names here but multiple people that that i know and you would never have guessed have been mm -hmm. through this and and many of them have lived a lifetime of guilt and have and even in christ even understanding like the sacrifice of christ have struggled with how do I move on from this event? Having done this, how do I forgive myself? I know that God forgives me, but how do I forgive myself? And I just want to say that, like, this in, in kind of closing, you know, um, I, I made a post the other day on Facebook. It was something I made when I was a very young, immature, idiotic kid and a rebel against God. You have a moment where you can let shame have its way with you or you can use that as a testimony against darkness, against Satan, where you can say, this, this is what I did. This is what I did in recklessness. This is what I did in, in be, you know, being in rebellion. But this is what God has done. Mm. And I would, just, I would just encourage, if there's a woman or a man, because it affects both parties, despite what the world um, would like to, to try to convince you of, if there's a woman or a man that's listening to this broadcast, I just want to say, like, use what God has given you. He has saved you. He has given you a testimony. And and you never know what that can be used for. You never know the person who is also struggling and dealing with that, 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 can, that God can use that to bring healing and forgiveness into their life. Or even, like we've talked about, oh, a warning you know, a wall saying, hey, I've been here and I've done this. Don't go. Don't do it. Because there's there's no healing on the other side of that. Mm. 
there's no reversing this course once you, once you take that step. And I just, I would just encourage you. And I'm not going to say that it's not a unique battle, but I would just say that if you're listening to this, let God redeem your story, because that's the business that the God we serve is in Ugh. His redemption. Amen. Man, I, I love how Josh said that. That you know, God will, God will, all, God brings life from from death. Um. That nothing is is wasted, nothing is spent, nothing is in vain. But God can can redeem the the circumference of a person's story, all of it, and and use you in this fight to honestly to save someone from the same pain that you feel, from the same struggle that you deal with, you know. And um, yeah, this has just been been a been a good time. Good, fire. <laughs> it's been good. I want to. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Jeff. So I have one question. I don't know how how quickly you want to end, but have any of you three stood outside an abortion mill? No, I've never no. stood outside one. I challenge you. You're only I don't know. You're not that far from Wichita. There are three places in Wichita that uh, perform abortions. If you need connected with people, I can help you get connected. But go do it. Yeah, I received that. Yeah, me too. Thank I, you. I know. <laughs> yeah, I, I I've reached out to you many times, you know, and and got connections from you, and I I feel the pull, and and to to my shame, I I haven't responded to that in a lot of ways. I've let other things, you know. That I think that that's one of the devil's easiest tricks, is or even our our own <laughs> irresponsibility yeah. in our in our flesh is is an easy excuse to be too busy. Um. But I don't think that there's any more important mission than rescuing those who cannot defend themselves. Yeah, man. thank you, Josh. Man, I, before before uh, we let you go, do you have any final comments? And uh, and and if you do, after that, just kind of give us a a plug to where people can find you, where they can find your church, where and even like if you would plug some of the of the the, the abolitionist stuff if you if you can and and just kind of mention a way for people to get connected in this movement because we desire to, to fuel this fight. Yeah. One, one thing we haven't spent a lot of time talking about that I really wanted to, but really would take too long to flesh out is the diff. Uh, also the difference in pro-life and abolition is the difference between uh, incrementalism versus immediate call for the ending of abortion and and the pro-life movement has taken incremental that their their whole thing is uh to to get rid of it little by little but in the process we've uh lost ground abortions have have gone up and so in every law that's put into place that only partially uh defend some children but not all of them is is a inconsistent law from a christian perspective where if we say every child is is uh, created in the image of god and then we make laws that only protect some children in the womb and not all children in the womb then we're saying it's worth sacrificing these other ones uh and and being inconsistent it's an unequal balance and then when we that when these are pressed to court, they um, they go all the way, and the court decides. Well, like uh, just take the Supreme Court decision uh, to to uh, send abortion back to the states by uh, overturning Roe v. 
versus Wade uh, was challenged in with an Alabama law, which only protected some children in the womb and not all of them. And so the court outcome was that, well, we're going to kick it back to the states and let them decide rather than saying it's life. If you challenge the Supreme Court's with inconsistent laws that treat some children as not worth saving and some children as worth saving, then you're going to get an inconsistent decision from the Supreme Court. The only way to to challenge is with righteous laws from God that protect all of the children in the womb. So an abolition bill is one that protects all children, not just some. And so just I'll just leave it at that. But um, and you said, uh, oh, you can find me, I guess. Yeah, I'm on Facebook, um, other places, uh, anywhere <laughs> else. Uh, I don't know. Uh, find me in Caney at uh, Cross Point Baptist Church. Anytime our our webs our church website is crosspointcaney.com. So. Catch me outside. How about that? <laughs> yeah. Catch me at Cross Point. How about that? Yeah, uh, guys, go to his Facebook. Um, also, and, and um, if we have to edit this out, then then we can because um, I haven't kept up with it. Uh, but uh, the the Bleeding Kansas podcast is that still a thing going strong? Uh, I don't think much has been done. But uh, the other abolition stuff in Kansas, you, you go to Aim KS. Uh, org. That's where you can find what we're doing as far as what bills we're uh, pushing. And also uh, March 27th, Wednesday, March 27th, there's going to be a rally, uh, abolition rally in Topeka that day in the morning. So you can find out about that on the website also. But we would love anyone, everyone to come and join us to uh, rally at the Capitol to let our representatives know uh where we stand and what we want to see and that we are standing for life all of it yeah amen that's fire um well um i guess that uh for the for the purpose of time that kind of uh uh, wraps up this but uh, i encourage you guys um i know josh personally i've known him for many many years um even even bc (laughs) before christ um so I've had a, I've had a personal relationship. I know his heart, and uh, if if there's such a thing, he, he's a good man. <laughs> um, but by the grace of God and uh, a solid pastor, uh, I would I would encourage you to go check out their stuff. Um, even visit the church if you're in the local area over there, um, and you're and you're wondering, go check out the stuff. But also just just uh, reach go to the the aim stuff. I know that Creek was marking down the the March 27th date on the calendar for us, but uh, just. I would just encourage you reach out to to aim and and, and be a part because I promise you like and I know this kind of ends heavy too but you're not just accountable for what you do we are all accountable for what we don't do yeah and that's a heavy weight but the the command from God to 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 all of his people is rescue those who are perishing and right I think that whether in in the next kingdom or should we see some level of revival in this nation, um, whatever God wills, I think that we will find that what we have participated and been a part of the biggest human rights violation that has ever happened, and it's happening under our watch. And, and that's a, that is such a reprehensible thing. 
Yeah. Complacency is idolatry. So, well, I think that that uh, wraps up this episode. Um, thank you guys <clears throat> for tuning in and uh, being a part of this with us. And um, whatever your reaction to this, I, I think that it's good. If it, if it makes you angry for one way or the other, at least we know that it's affected your heart. And uh, that, that's good. We love you guys. And uh, from all of us here at At The Table Podcast, this is us signing off. Godspeed. God bless you. Catch you later. This is Pastor Kevin O'Connor, and you're listening to At The Table Podcast. This is Dylan from Jamaica, and you're listening to At The Table Podcast. Hello, this is Dr. Kent Hovind of Dinosaur Adventureland, and with the At The Table Podcast. Hey, this is Savannah Donaldson, and you're listening to At The Table Podcast. Thank you for joining us for another episode of At The Table Podcast. We hope it blessed you, and we hope it taught you something. Until next time, thank you so much, and God bless.